0: On our program this week, we have Keen Spellman. He's the administrator at Grady Memorial Hospital. So, Keen, thanks for coming in today. It's been a while.
1: Good morning, George. It's nice to be over COVID and see your lovely face
2: again.
0: (laughs) And we have uh, Emily Miracle, and she's the uh, marketing director for the hospital. So, Emily, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you, George. I'm delighted to be here. All
0: right. Well, let's get a little update uh, on some staff members. Uh, I know we've uh, uh, been talking to a a few new doctors here of late, so do you want to... Talk about them first, Emily. Sure.
2: Um, So we have several that are up and coming, and we're delighted and excited about it. Um, We have one that is really exciting. Our pain management is going to be expanding. Um, So a few months ago, we added, um, we had a hospitalist upstairs, and now he's going to be working in pain. It's uh, Dr. Jeffrey Miller. So he's establishing his practice there in pain. And then in August, we're going to be also welcoming another physician, and that's going to be Dr. Jacob Byers. And he is just a delight. loves Absolutely love him. Very charismatic, very uh, compassionate about his patients. So we're just really thrilled that he's coming.
1: And both are Oklahoma boys, both coming from small-town America. Just the perfect doctor for Chickasha.
2: It's going to fit right in, both of them. So very All right,
0: shy. and uh, how do you go about finding new doctors and hospitalists and people like that.
2: I think one of the biggest keys is we have to find doctors that are looking for a rural community. Um, And that's probably been the biggest selection is a lot of our doctors, you know, it's easier to find physicians that want to go to the bigger cities in Oklahoma or, you know, Chicago or wherever it is. But looking for that home, small town feel that really want to get established in that community. And one of the common questions I ask all of our doctors that are coming on in marketing, I have to kind of, you know, get their little bios and figure out what they like. And they discuss that the biggest thing is they want to establish trust with their patients and know them by name and that's just something you can't have if you have a large patient volume you just can't do it so really just finding the right people um, identifying you know are they going to be someone's gonna be a long-term um, It really helps to have you know a family that supports that same focus um, but the biggest thing is just finding the right person would you say that there's anything you'd add
1: well the technique of it is in family medicine we can go up to the residencies at OU Texas and we physically show up them pizza when they're training and try to get some interest in our community. Uh, But most of the time, like the pain management, that's such a narrow specialty, and there's so few training programs, uh, that would be the same thing like our current search for dermatology. There's a huge demand for these type of doctors, and so we basically hire full-time paid recruiters that get a commission if they find us the right doctor. So we end up getting 10 or 12 leads per opening we have, uh, try to cull through them and see if there's any that we know would stick in Chickasha instead of just use us to get that first job and then leave. So I think that's the key. So we have, uh, we probably have seven recruiters that look all the time for us. And, uh, believe it or not, George, one of our biggest challenges is space. We're uh, kind of out of room. So we've really? got, yeah, we got a, a good problem to have on that score. So, but recruiting is uh, always, a, it's a 24 hour deal. The biggest challenge we've had, uh, that we've not succeeded, and uh, she reminds me of this, our chief of staff, Abby Hausman, is that we need more women physicians, and that's what we're targeting because many women patients want to see women physicians, so we have many, many, many high-caliber women nurse practitioners and physician assistants, but Dr. Abby's our our sole family medicine female, so we need to get her a couple of girlfriends, and (laughs) that's my uh, mission in the next year.
0: All right, um, and we recently talked to one of the new family physicians uh, last fall, I believe, right? Dr. Nair. Dr. Nair. Mm-hmm. How's he doing?
1: Oh, the, the Dr. Nair, personality plus. Yeah. I haven't met a soul in Chickasha that just doesn't love this guy. Uh, he is just, you know, salt of the earth, just fun, has a great sense of humor, quite athletic himself. He, he does volunteer work at the YMCA teaching basketball, wants to keep... His middle-aged patients like me, thinner, he's not succeeding with me. <laughs> but the gist of it is he's just a, a real, real asset and uh, on top of his nice personality, of course, he's a f- solid physician, very thorough. Uh, we've really we really hit a home run. You know, Dr. Nair, he, we, we, were, we were kind of shocked that we were so lucky that, that he picked us. And after he started for about a month, we finally said, well, why? Did, how many offers did you have? He said he had 20 offers on the table, but he picked us because of people like Abby Houseman and Dr. Coppage. He says, your physicians are such nice people, and they work as a team. That's what I was looking for. So we lucked out. And he trained in OU, so he had a little bit of a connection. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, Always helps. Yeah. Dr. Nair, he's a great guy, and uh, he's still building a practice, but he's a pretty busy dude. So we have... He's been new, and then coming up this August, and that's why I was worried about our space problems. Is Doctor Sukamato? He's from Dallas. He's a former Marine. He's another great guy. Uh, unfortunately, he's not a woman, but you know what? What can <laughs> you say? Uh, you can't have everything. But he's coming up. His uh, his uh, he's been a, a, a hard to find physician as well. And so recently, we've had a very positive trend. When we make an offer, uh, we don't get too many turndowns, And so I think our our physician team is growing. Our family medicine team as a whole bunch of physicians and, and uh, uh, mid-level practitioners like nurse practitioners and PAs. are extremely strong, and so all of our volumes are just jumping off the page. Our, our, our express care, urgent care product is extremely busy now. We've got some new talent in that department. So things are going pretty well at Five Oaks Medical Center.
0: Recently, uh, the uh, hospital went through a, a software update, and is it done? Or are we still going through some uh, some uh, growing pains with that, Emily, or how's that
2: going? It's definitely a lot better than it was a few months ago, but with any new software program, it's, it's both training employees and training patients. It's an ongoing process. I think we launched it, what, December, something mm-hmm. like that?
1: December 1. Yes. Conversion date.
2: It was a huge undertaking, um, but it has definitely – gotten to a point that I think people are comfortable with it. We're seeing the value from the patient's perspective. Um, I think it's really just getting everybody on board with it. It does take a little bit more time to get established. Our patients, when they've come in, even if they've been an established patient, there's a little bit of a time to be able to get them put in back into the system and that's what's caused some delays and just recently we launched a video from our doctors speaking directly to that concern we want to make sure our patients know that we hear their frustration and we're going to do everything we can to get past that and it's getting better every day so we're very excited and we just kind of really have optimistic for what the future holds
0: right uh, and we're talking about i mean what's your patient numbers can we talk about sure what's in your... that five oaks yeah Mm-hmm. Oh, all of our all,
1: all of our primary care numbers are, are, are growing in volume, but we, we see, if I'm adding them up in my head, we're seeing about 9,000 patients a month. That's a lot. Uh, our peds is probably the best pediatric team in the, half this southern part of the state. And of course, they see a whole bunch of kids, and especially when it's winter months and they're in school, uh, as any parent would know, and it's always, you know, at midnight or at four right. in the morning that that the kids get sick. So that's a busy. So we have a lot of patients that we see every day. And then, of course, we have our two outreach clinics, one in Rush Springs and one in Tuttle. They're hitting new records, too. So um, we're doing something right as far as patient volume. Now, the reason we even went to is called Meditech Expanse. No one needs to know that but people in the hospital. But the reason we had to is that Meditech wasn't going to support our old platform anymore. So we were kind of forced to do it. Uh, but this system, why we selected it versus other companies was that it's going it provides the physicians on the clinic side much faster throughput once they get the system learned. Uh, like any software that you use at home, once you get the clicks down and you don't have to read everything. But in the short run, we were having to transfer all of Emily's historical information in Meditech Magic is what the old one was called. Put it into Meditech Expanse, and that just takes a lot of time. And patients were used to just coming in and getting it Mm -hmm. done because we had it in memory. And so that's why it's taking more time. Plus, people make mistakes. People make errors, and they have to go back and fix it. But everybody's learning fast, and uh, it's like any other learning curve. So uh, one of my best doctors, who will go nameless for this interview, he said that for the first time in his medical career here, he doesn't have to do chart work at home.
0: He's getting it all done during the day and that was one of our goals um we mentioned uh, the hospitalist earlier so mm-hmm. uh, how is that segment of the hospital working as far as uh, you know if you've got uh, you know how many patients you're averaging on a monthly basis and as far as uh, the length of times Good. spent there. and Thanks
1: George for the question because probably our biggest challenge is on the inpatient side now. Uh, most people realize that insurance companies, Medicare included, they don't want to admit you no matter what. You have to be practically dying to get into a hospital and at least have the insurance company pay for it. So a lot of my physicians and nursing staff and medical records team they have to battle insurance companies to allow us to admit you. I mean, it's a, it's a sad state that people are so into their, their money that they are saying, well, well, we're not sure you need to be admitted for that broken hip. We want you to go home and same-day surgery. Why well, do you tell an 80-year-old man who lives home by himself that you go home the same day you have hip surgery? That's just inhuman. Well, the hospitalists help on this. The hospitalist is essentially an internal medicine doctor for most patients, that's the same training that Dr. Don Hess had. They're a doctor's doctor in my training. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very strong in medical systems. I mean, they understand the, the biochemistry, the anatomy and things, more so than a family medicine doctor. And so we have three family, you know internal medicine doctors that basically staff our hospital 24 hours a day. They're in the hospital, that's where they're called hospitalists. They don't have a private practice. They're in the hospital 24-7. And they manage it. So during the COVID disaster, all of our hospitals were overworked. We 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 stressed everyone. All my nurses. It was a it was an awful time. We're through that now. But recently, we're going back to the normal things. We're getting admissions for uh, c- chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, for diabetes, for falls, for appendicitis, for the normal things. And our our volume is uh, we don't have enough nurses to take care of the number of patients that we have. So our average census last week was 24 patients, 20, and. Uh, that's a good thing for the CEOs of us that we have volume but it's a hard thing for uh my nurse managers who are doing a great job Danielle Burci she's a she's a saint and they do they have to work a lot of shifts themselves along with you know Mary Beth Malone is our director of nurses she used to run the ER so they're very loyal committed women and they they're really working hard because we still are in this cost crisis where we still have a hard time attracting nurses for the pay rates that we have, because even though we're busy, the hospital is still operating in the red. It was only because of this COVID funding from the federal government that we were able to pay these high wages, and now we now we basically have a permanent high wage situation, and we've got to find a way of increasing volume and margin. But uh, those hospitalists and the nurses that work on the floor, of the ICU, they're the real heroes. That uh, at Grady Memorial, because they've 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 uh, done it almost all by themselves. Mm-hmm. Who are the hospitalists? Well, we're, our current director is Dr. McKetty. He's been with us for over ten years. Uh, the, a kinder guy you'll never meet, but of course you have to be in the hospital to meet him. Right, he does it exactly. Yeah, uh, see patients on the side. Uh, joining him is another long-termer, Dr. George Urbanero. He's another really pleasant individual. And then just joining them new is a new doctor. And he, he goes by Dr. Addy. His last name is Dr. Abishar. And Dr. Abishar, he he worked for the last 15 years as a hospitalist director in Altus, Oklahoma. And he heard how good it was for his friends up here. So he uh, when he heard that there was an opening, he snapped it right up. So he started this month.
0: Very good. We wanted to also talk today about... Um... Uh, some of the ARPA funds you've received from the county uh, over the past several years, and of course that's been a uh, a big thing um, for a lot of a lot of businesses uh, being able to get some ARPA funds to help out. And so uh, let's kind of do some chronological uh, projects here, starting with some of the COVID. Uh, projects that you did, uh,
1: George. Yeah, when we when when the COVID emergency came, most people read the paper, but go back in my history book. Uh, the county was was received five million dollars for COVID mitigation efforts. Uh, they were going to get two tranches of five million each: one in the beginning of the COVID crisis, and then five million later. And the county commissioners to their great credit were saying, well, what can we do to help our, you know, the patients? Because we had that time, that was when we had people dropping dead in New York. It was on TV. Everyone was masked. No one was coming in the hospital. We closed our clinics for almost for a month. I mean, but once we got our beat on that, this disease could be managed difficultly. But so what the, uh, what we asked the county to do for us immediately was We wanted to go ahead and do some of the improvements to stop the disease spread from potentially within our facility. So the county helped us using those funds, uh, pay for air ionizers on every patient room in the clinic and in the emergency room and on med surge. That was like over 80 air handlers that had to be swapped out with these ionizers that uh, irradiate the the air that you breathe so that any virus in it is, is terminated. That is still going on right now, so that's a, probably a, a long-term positive benefit. The other thing that the county did that was a huge help to us is right then we were competing with these traveling nurses that were getting huge monies per hour, and to try to show our staff that we were trying to do everything we could, this county gave us $1.4 million that we spread out over six months to give added pay, hourly pay bonuses to our staff that stuck with us. Not everybody stuck with us. A lot of people went to the uh, city or Chicago or, to get the uh, $150 an hour. Can you imagine? That's more wow. than doctors make. But that was going on, and we were trying our best, and so it was a kind of a labor love. So that was a huge help, $1.4 million. We didn't have $1.4 million to do this. The other big things that they did was they helped us to buy um, two of the robots that we use to sterilize rooms after patients are in them. So if you had a COVID patient that leaves a room, discharged or otherwise, we would bring the robot in the room and for 20 minutes would irradiate it to kill any germs that might've been lingering in that space. And we started using it in the emergency rooms, in the clinics in the doctor's offices, as well as the hospital. So that was a real big positive. In the middle of COVID, one of our biggest problems was that many of these patients needed multiple IV drips simultaneously. Though those Though were We use the things called intravenous uh, pumps. And all of our pumps uh, were single-channel pumps, and we could run one drip at a time. And so these patients, most of them needed three, sometimes four drips at the same time, which in our facility would mean you'd have two IV poles with two pumps each all crowded around a patient so what we had to do was to get better pumps that could handle multiple channels at the same time and so the county helped us using NARPA funds uh, replace every pump we have in the hospital with these new dual channel pumps and that was like 25 pumps at around $3,300 a pump Uh, that was a huge huge help the other clinical need we had was that we use uh, patient care monitors. So if you're in the emergency room or in the surgery department or in the ICU, we'll hook you up to electronic monitors. Most people from TV, you know, mm-hmm. you'll see the cardiac rhythms that right. everybody mm-hmm. pays attention to. But we measure a lot of things more than just your heartbeat. So these, these monitors measure all sorts of biological functions on, on, in real time, and they display it to the nursing staff and to the physicians. Well, these monitors are not... Cheap. There's nothing in healthcare that's cheap. No, that's true. Yeah. And so we need to replace that. And that was a that was a three hundred and thirty thousand dollar replacement of all the monitor systems hospital wide. It took us six more months than we had hoped to get the stuff delivered because the supply chain was just fractured. Um
0: it affected the medical field as well as everything else. Everything else. Cars uh, and computers and
1: I mean whatnot. Yeah. You know, Vicki Hodges, who runs our materials management, is another unsung hero in the hospital. She worked day and night to get the supplies we needed in the facility, and we couldn't get half the things we needed. Uh, Or if we could get them, guess what? The prices doubled. Everything supply and demand in our great country, so we got on the short end of that stick. So we were trying to accomplish all that, and so we needed to divert hospital resources to supplies and we were still trying to figure out how to, you know, cope with this disease, uh, and lots of overtime was being expended and those type of things. So we got those pump monitors. The other thing that we basically used was that we had. Uh, most of you, your listeners, know the hospital. We have the brand new facility that opened in 2016. You know, believe it or not, it's already six years. Wow! Can you yeah. imagine? It's like it happened yesterday. <laughs> Well, here we, we have our 60-year-old main facility. Been a good girl, but, you know, 60 years old. She's showing a little wear and tear on her. Well, anyway, we had those pig cooling towers that basically provided the air conditioning uh, support for the entire hospital, the med surge units, the ICU, the kitchen, most of the uh, uh, support departments. Well, those towers were 40 years old and were failing. We rebuilt them during COVID, trying to get them to last. Well, it was like a, not going to happen. I mean, we were saying every, every summer we don't think it's going to make it. And, you know, running out of air conditioning in July in Oklahoma is not a smart move. So the county was very good about helping us to come up with the capital to replace those for $400,000 each. These were big expenses that our capital budget, the entire capital budget for the hospital, rarely goes over a million dollars. But we've had so many needs on this 60 year old hospital. We've got air conditioners, we've got roofs, we've got infrastructure needs that just, we had hoped that the sales tax on the new building would help us to replace that. But unfortunately, after 2018, when the oil fell apart, our sales taxes has dropped off to barely covering the debt service on the new building. So now we don't have any capital budget. So we've been struggling to replace equipment as it fails. So so the county and, and the federal government through these ARPA funds was uh, was really, really, really helpful. Otherwise, I don't think we would be uh, sitting here today. We'd probably have a closure on our hands.
0: Wow. Um, you're doing some uh, revamping for the emergency room? right Yes. Now? Yeah. Well, we had, a, we had
1: a very kind donor friend, still anonymous, uh, she's an attorney family in town, and she was in our ER, and she convicted me. She calls me up and says, well, Mr. Spellman, the ER room I was in needs a lot of work. <laughs> and it was dirty. It had a broken floor tile. It had some of the formica was chipped, and I said, yes, you're right. We can't get in there to replace that stuff because the ER is a zoo, and it was COVID. And we had everybody in masks, and so my maintenance guys had to wear masks. And you try to do construction wearing N95 masks, it's no fun. So we were, we, our whole ER kind of got worn down. I mean, we just didn't keep the normal upkeep. And so she wanted to go ahead and uh, and donate enough money to replace one room. You know, new paint, new floor tile, new cabinets. Okay. Well, it kind of got me thinking, I worked with Kirk Painter and the Curran county commissioners. And I said, you know, we need a whole new facelift. You know, if, if you're going to come to my hospital, the odds are you're going to go through that ER. And so we're basically with the county's help. They basically provided me the materials cost. I'm providing my own guys to do the work, but we're tearing off all the old wallpaper, refinishing the walls, repainting everything. We're going to be re- cleaning up and replacing broken floor. We're basically repainting all the door systems and we're going to replace all the cabinetry in the uh, emergency room. So that's a big project, and that's a, we estimated just the stuff, not the labor, was about $280,000. Money doesn't go as far. I guess no, you, none of it, re- that's it, for sure. <laughs> and you wonder, how can you possibly spend that much? But um, that, got my, uh, that got my my ER doctors thinking. We have some fine ER doctors led by De- Dr. Deacon Weiss, and he's a super guy and uh, a local boy from Apache, he cares about this community. You can't, you can't put a value on that. Well, now he sees this two hundred eighty thousand dollars. That's not enough. He wants to, <laughs> he wants to remodel the whole thing, put in new door systems, and change the way trauma patients are seen. Add Pixis Pixises or these electronic vending machines that we get supplies out of. So now he has his, uh, his, his design to to follow this remodeling or facelift with a much bigger ER project. And uh, God bless him. He'll probably pull it off. He's, he's raising money as we speak.
0: Looking forward to that. Want to talk about uh, a new MRI that's going to be coming soon. Is that right?
1: Yes. Before COVID, we had already determined that one of the things that we needed to do is to replace, uh, we take good care of our equipment. Most MRIs last uh, eight years. Uh, we've been running our MRI. Uh, we, when we built a new building, we, we were planning to get a new MRI with the new building and we built the building to accommodate a new, and it's the, for most people that don't know what MRIs are, although we use initials all the time, it's magnetic resonance imaging. An MRI, what it does is that it can image inside of your body on soft tissue items. CTs and x-rays can see bones and other things, but MRI is like the Medical standard, you can see everything with an MRI, but they're expensive. The new MRI is going to cost, and what we did was we had to borrow the money to do it. The MRI itself was one point five million dollars. This tool, and the installation of it is another six hundred thousand because you have to shield a huge space that holds the MRI with this. uh, It's not lead anymore, but it's a galvanized steel. So they're. They're doing the installation now. That new MRI should be operational sometime this summer. And then we can take the old MRI that we let, that we extended from an estimated eight year life. We've been using that unit for 12 years. We just take good care of it. And it's in the old part of the old imaging department. So once the new MRI is ready to go, no longer will patients have to go back in the old hospital to go for mammography, for MRI, or for speech. So. We're going to be moving all of the patient care functions to the front, and that'll make a lot of people happy because they get lost going to that big facility trying to
0: find their location. So that yeah.
1: MRI, when, when it gets close, we'll be we'll be on the radio talking to people about that new tool.
0: And then uh, also, you mentioned the mammography, and you've got some new equipment uh, for that.
1: Yes, with the, with the advent of bringing Dr. Toho, a general surgeon, to our team, Dr. Toho is extremely well trained. Uh, Again, he's from a nearby community, you know, just outside of Carnegie, a local boy, but he had a scholarship to go to Ivy League schools. The governor cited him as, you know, the best resident, extremely well talented, but humble as all get out. Well, he's got the training to do breast care uh, surgery. So what we, didn't, what we needed to do is we added a coil, which is a device that attaches to the MRI so that the doctors can order images if a woman or a man, although that's like less than half of a percent, uh, has a mass on their breast that needs to be explored to see if it's a cancer or just a uh, calcium type of thing that we can get in the MRI, we can image that in the MRI and determine if it's cancer or not. That is, a, that, is that little add-on device on the, on the MRI is $150,000. So that's coming along with this MRI. On a mammography, which most women know what that is, uh, we added a stereotactic needle biopsy system. So what that does is that now, instead of just getting a diagnosis that you have a mass that we were having to refer on average around 35 to 40 women to uh, urban hospitals that do stereotactic biopsies, is that now instead of waiting and worrying for days whether or not you might have breast cancer, once we see that in on the 3D mammography, we can immediately do a stereotactic needle biopsy, which is relatively pain-free, can get a little sample of a, 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 a mass, maybe the size of an eraser or smaller, instead of something that, gets, you know, that would cause a life-threatening breast cancer for most women, which is still the leading cause of death of cancer for women, still is breast cancer. And this is a great tool, so it, it in three dimensions can actually guide the technician and the physician to hit the exact center of that mass while they're under imaging of the 3D mammography. So they don't have to go anywhere else. They can take care of it all in the same day. And trust me, those, uh, those nights of worry, uh, nobody sleeps. Mm-hmm. So those women are going to be blessed by not having to go out of town. They can get it all done here. And that... That 3D stereotactic biopsy the county just funded with that. That device was $120,000. We were adding $85,000 of an imager. It's another device. Everything in healthcare costs a fortune. Believe it or not, sure. I don't like it. We don't make any money on this expensive stuff. Somebody else does.
0: Keen, I want to thank you for coming in today. Uh, appreciate the update at uh, Grady Memorial Hospital. I know you appreciate the work of the foundation, too, to uh, help uh, further a lot of your projects as well. Yes so. you bet. Thanks, George. Sorry I talked so fast. That's, uh, Emily, thanks for coming in. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, George.
0: Emily Miracle and Kane Spellman with Greater Memorial Hospital today.